You know why I'm so passionate about music to code by? Because it works. I'm still getting a steady stream of success stories from developers just like you who sail effortlessly through hours of coding. There's only one problem. They can't get enough. Well, not only are we up to track 13, but you can download them all in one shot for a new low price. The collection was 54 bucks just a little while ago, still only a little more than 4 bucks a track, but now you can get all 13 for only 39 bucks. That's only 3 bucks a track. Yeah, that's more like it. 325 minutes of pure bliss. Go get it now at collection.musictocodeby.net. .NET Rocks, episode 1349, with guest Jeff Fritz. Recorded Friday, August 26th, 2016. Welcome back to .NET Rocks, this is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. We've got a great show for you. Jeffrey Fritz is here. We're going to talk to him about, guess what? Web forms. No. <laughs> Web forms. That's where we're going to start. He's got some things up his sleeve you're sure going to want to stick around and listen to. Hey, man, I just saw a picture of your basement with all the Lumen Cash lights and the couch and stuff. Yep. It's becoming habitable again. Well, now you're starting to see the power of LED, right? That we were able to build this lighting right into the, you know, strips of wood and, and hidden behind things and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, it's starting to turn into a room. Now, admittedly, that photo I sent you is carefully framed to hide the huge number of boxes stacked <laughs> all over the place because we still have tons of stuff to unpack. Yeah. But, yeah, it's coming together. You know, the, there are moments of light in this uh, mayhem. But, uh, yeah, it's fun to... Uh, to realize a vision. Well, when it's all said and done, you let me know and I'll come up and stay for a week and we'll do some shows up there. Yeah, that'll be easy to do now, too, with the new layout. We'll be able to uh, put you in the room next door and be able to record it and uh, still be in isolation. Lots of fun. All right, well, let's uh, roll the music because for Better Know Framework today, I've got something that, Mr. Campbell, you are going to like a lot. I love it. <laughs> All right, dude, what do you got? Well, this being show 1349, if you go to 1349.pwop.me, that will take you to, what is it, Richard? It's Hackaday. These guys always have good stuff. Lots of fun. What is this? Playing original Nintendo games on your HoloLens? That's right, buddy. That is ridiculous. All right. So it's not only a 2D screen, you know, like a UWP app, but it actually 3Dizes the game. <laughs> Just take a second and watch the video so we can have a conversation about this, and we'll cut out the time that you actually watched it. So what you're seeing here is a sort of a 3D projection of a 2D surface. So it's as if every 2D item... Uh, has a thickness of about two or three inches and just gets extruded back. And, of course, the background goes away. So you're playing Mario Brothers, and he's jumping on a little brick wall in your living room. Well, what I liked is that right at the beginning, it looks like the game you expect from 1985. Right? Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, there's a flat game in front of me here. Yeah. And then as you got closer and closer and closer to it, you could actually see it had a little bit of thickness. It kind of makes sense. But <laughs> yeah. then when he gets on the other side of the game, you're like, mind blown. What happened? <laughs> how cool would it be to play Mario Brothers and Donkey Kong and all those games just, you know, sitting in your living room with that? With that well, be able to get right up to the ape, right? Like as close as you can get to the ape. <laughs> it's completely so pixelated. Of course, it's 8-bit. You're 8-bit gaming. There should be pixels. Yeah, it's great. I love it. That's awesome, dude. Nice find. Yep, that's what I got today, Richard. Who's talking to us? 
grabbed a comment off of show 1014, the one we did back in July of 2014 with Mr. Jeff Fritz. Awesome. When we were talking about ASP.NET V Next. Yeah. Before it was called 5, before it was called Core, before mm. any of that, we were talking about VNext. And so, of course, I'm kind of shooting fish in a barrel here because the comments are are stale or kind of old, but this one's particularly relevant. This okay. is from Charles, who says, okay, so it's one ASP.NET, but what about web forms? Yeah. I think you're unfair to web forms. I use web forms. And, of course, I wouldn't even touch web forms, data binding, and data controls, even with a stick. My uncle was a web forms. <laughs> and I mostly use ViewState to store data in a secure, encrypted way. In fact, I use very few web forms controls, but a web form is very simple to use, requires very little code. When I see the number of files required in MVC applications, I fail to see how this is superior to code behind in terms of simplicity. Hmm. And code behind doesn't mean you put all your logic in the code behind. If you stick to the relevant UI parts and use an API for the business logic, it's actually pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you know, we, we know the origin of web forms. We know why it exists the way it did. Sure. We know that it could be abused, but we also know that folks took good care of it and, and built good code with it. Right. You know, everything has its challenges one way or the other. When you know the question is what's better, I don't deny the fact that the system dot web needed to be decomposed. You know that was an artifact of an earlier time. Sure, uh, but let's see what happens to web forms. So, Charles, thank you so much for your comment. A dot rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a dot rocks mug, write a comment on the website at dot rocks dot com or via any of our social media. We publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We hide him in view state. Actually, we don't do that anymore, but uh, just saying, hey, let's talk to Jeff Fritz. He is a senior program manager in Microsoft's developer division, working on some of the latest web technologies by leading the ASP.NET Web Forms team. That's right. You heard me. As a longtime web developer with experience in large and small applications across a variety of verticals, he knows how to build for performance and practicality. Jeff is currently writing his first book, Learn ASP.NET Core, in 24 hours. You can also learn from Jeff on Wintelect Now. Follow him on Twitter at CSharpFritz. And that's spelled out C-S-H-A-R-P, Fritz, F-R-I-T-Z. And read his blogs at jeffreyfritz.com and blogs.msdn.com slash webdev. Welcome back, Jeff. Hey, thanks a lot, guys. It's great to be back. Yeah, great to have you back. So, all right, can we talk a little bit about, about that comment from, from Charles? Yeah, sure. Um, storing data in view state isn't, isn't secure, right? That yeah. data is being passed back and forth. Um, so people can decrypt that and they can take a look at what you've put in there and they can modify it and send it back. It's very easy actually to hijack some of that content that's in view state. Mm. So be careful what you put in there because really you, you can't be depending on that being 100% secure. It's essentially a cookie value, right? Yeah, that, that's a, that's a great comparison, Carl, that it's, it really is like a cookie. If you want something to be secure on your web forms, don't send it to the client. Yep, true. Last time we talked about uh, web forms, you were promoting it as a sort of a not dead technology. And is it still not dead? It is still very much not dead. Not only is it not, <laughs> not, not dead. No, <laughs> not, not dead. Very much alive. It's very much alive. Yes. Um, we actually just released as part of .NET 4.6.2 here at the beginning of August 2016. We released a couple of patches and updates to enable some, some additional capabilities inside of ASP.NET Web Forms, actually all of ASP.NET, so that you can, you can start to use them, build on, and enhance them in other asynchronous ways. Um, we've added interfaces so that you can make your session state provider completely asynchronous to the rest of ASP.NET 4.6. We've added interfaces so that you can make your output cache provider also asynchronous to the entire ASP.NET 4.6 experience. Wow. Yeah, these are good advancements, good changes that we've made that will help with that cloud-based experience. 
um, making it more asynchronous. You'll put have less pressure on your web server because you'll be able to release those threads and handle other tasks instead of waiting for things to come back from your external distributed cache or distributed session provider Very if cool. you're using that. The first thing yeah. I think of when I hear, you know, updates to .NET 4.5, essentially, is that we've forked, right? We've essentially forked .NET. We've gone in a couple of different directions here. We've got the core direction, and then now apparently we're, we're still going in the uh, Windows-centric version of .NET. Is that... An accurate observation. So, so let's let let's be clear, right? We've we've been forked before, right? <laughs> yeah. Before we talk about .NET Core, there were already six or seven different flavors of .NET out there. Sure, right, right. You had the .NET Desktop Experience that powered WinForms, WPF, ASP.NET 4.5, 4.6, and earlier. You also had the version for Silverlight that was hanging out there. You had PCL. the version for the phone. Yeah. You have PCLs. You have the capabilities that are hanging out there for uh, Windows 8 store apps. Yeah. And the UWP capabilities. Yeah. And Xamarin. Yeah. There's a lot of different flavors. Mono. Don't forget Mono is hanging out there. Sure. Yep. So. The micro framework. All these different. Yes. The micro framework. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, all these different flavors of .NET hanging out there that you've had to juggle and manage. And and the PCL comparison you draw, Carl, is completely accurate. You need to build these portable class libraries to span and work across them. And now we sort of have .NET standard being the the next, um, I won't say implementation, but the, the following that same PCL idea, except that it's all .NET. And I just wanted to make sure that we said that. Well, let's, I mean, let's dig a little bit further into that. .NET standard is, it, it's a, it's PCL on steroids. It's where PCL wanted to be. Yeah. Right? When you declare that your application, your library adheres to a portable class library, it is a portable class library, mm. you declare that you specifically target these frameworks, Windows 8, uh, WinPhone 8.1, mm. .NET 4.6. And you are hard-coded to those frameworks. Yep. But as we know with everything in, in computer science, every problem can be solved with another layer of abstraction. That's right. So nice. let's abstract away that hard, concrete reference to those various .NET versions. And let's say that we're just a .NET standard, and these are those specific APIs that we implement. And that's where, right, .NET standard 1.1 through 1.6 comes through, yep. comes from. Yep. There's a collection of, of standard APIs that they each reference. And instead of directly referencing Mono or Xamarin, by abstractly referencing them, as those other frameworks get updated and they meet those new APIs, you don't have to change your code. You're still abstractly referencing right. net standard 1.6. It's not tied to a particular uh, platform. It's tied to a particular set of APIs. Exactly. You're yeah. tied to an API definition that those platforms opt into and start supporting. Yep. We want to get closer and closer to having one .NET that you target with different implementations for different sizes, form factors, operating systems. It's going to be really cool. So now getting back to this, these new web forms features, these are yes. essentially in what? .NET 4.6.2, you said? Yes, .NET 4.6.2, which are part of, I believe it's .NET Standard uh, 1.6. Okay, good. And so do we need to actually say here, it should be obvious that .NET Core is still not where web forms lives it's in this particular, you know, version of .NET. Yeah, that's a that's a very good point, Carl. Uh, .NET Core is that cross-platform, brand new, written uh, .NET framework. 1.0 version of that was released a, a few months ago here, mm -hmm. and WebForms lives in the .NET full framework that is Windows only. Mm -hmm. It's been upgraded and lovingly maintained for the past 15 years here <laughs> and works great inside of your Windows Windows servers with IIS. Yeah. 
Fantastic. So the real thing that we were saying here is we're not porting web forms to Linux and OS X. We're not. We're not. There's some great concepts in web forms that, that are still working very, very well. There are some people who have written some very interesting implementations on top of the web forms and HTTP handlers, HTTP modules to do some very interesting things, taking advantage of how they operate. And for us to lift that entire huge framework, that system.web.dll hosted framework and migrate it is a tremendous effort. And there's a lot of customers that are saying, you know what, we really would prefer to have the, um, the MVC framework over in .NET Core, and we don't need web forms. So right. we, d- we don't need to move it over there because we're going to continue to maintain the existing .NET full framework on Windows. You right. guys must have a lot of customers that are still using web forms with full view state and all of that stuff. I imagine for behind the firewall stuff mostly, but I don't know. What, what do you, how can you comment on that? There are a lot of customers that are still using it, yes. Um, in fact, up and up until recently, I can, I can say that there was a, a major American airline that was using it for their public facing website. You'd go to book a new flight. You, you check the status of your flights and you could see at the end of the URLs, they were .aspx pages that you were requesting. Hmm. Now they're no longer using our technologies. There's been mergers and the like that have migrated that to a different technology, but um, there are a lot of customers using it. There's a lot of frameworks out there that people are using that have been built on top of web forms, HTTP handlers and modules that people are using and are having tremendous success with still. Right. In fact, one of the big, um, one of the big comments that we hear when we, when we talk about ASP.NET Core is that people miss the abstractions that they get in web forms, being able to have widgets that they can just drop on a, on a design surface and they aren't even using the design surface. These folks are primarily using the, um, the ASP.NET code editor, right? The markup editor yeah. inside visual studio, yeah. but being able to use that to define their layout and they're referencing a grid component and they don't have to define all the bindings and everything through JavaScript and all of that boilerplate yak shaving code that you need to write in order to get angular or, or knockout up and running inside of your application. They like something simple, quick, and very productive. And that's, you know what? That's the choice that you have and that we're going to continue to support. Well, it kind of makes sense because folks that are running this stuff, they are running Windows. They're fine with IIS. Like the things you're doing over in core aren't necessarily important to them for those apps. Uh, you're right. When When you are using core, it's you really have to bake your own cake. There's so much that you need to bring, you need to understand and you need to start to build for yourself. Um, there's a, a meme that's been going around here over the past few days. Um, it, people wishing happy birthday to Linux. And there's a picture of the cake that they baked for them. And it's all the ingredients waiting to be compiled. You know, eggs, flour, <laughs> sugar, icing all there and you need to compile it and that's that's a little bit of the way that it is with ASP.NET Core you can write all the angle brackets that you want you can generate all the angle brackets that you want but we're not generating so much for you out of the box nice so can we go over again the the new things that you've added to um to web forms i know you mentioned them at the beginning but we sort of jumped into this you know forking conversation and i don't want i want to make sure those aren't lost on our listeners sure so what was what was pushed in this point release there were there were a handful of small bug fixes but the big the new features that people can opt into are some new interfaces that are available that uh, allow asynchronous session state management and asynchronous output cache management so you can fetch and retrieve items from output cache asynchronously if you use the new interface. And there's a new interface for session state that you can use to fetch and work with um, your session data asynchronously. That makes it probably easier, I would say, to use a more robust session store like SQL Server or something. 
Well, how about you could use Redis on a cloud server? Now you've got a distributed cache hanging out there using Redis and let it let that completely operate asynchronously with the distributed capabilities on the cloud. And you can scale very easily your, your session and output cache repository your web servers can relax and and they've got a free thread while they're waiting for that data to come back yep that's a great example now um view state is the thing that probably most developers uh on web forms hate and love at the same time yeah don't they yeah do you guys have any um more guidance or more how should we say? Uh, yeah, guidance, I guess. Do you guys have any more guidance on how to use ViewState effectively and um, yeah. in a, in a scalable solution? You know what? As 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 the web evolves, right? Um, ViewState is something that that we want to avoid. We're, it's how much data that you're pushing back and forth to the server. We want in a in a modern 2016 going into 2017 web application. We don't want to push as much data back and forth, right? We we see these applications, these single-page applications out there that have a very thin, small payload. And one of the hallmarks of ASP.NET Web Forms for the past 10, 15 years are fat web pages with lots of markup that are being posted back and taking up a lot of bandwidth. But as we want to support smaller devices, smaller bandwidth, we, we've got to start looking away from view state. And I would recommend people start to turn it off in their applications and using things like, like model binding. Mm-hmm. Absolutely an option. Before you get into that, going back to one of the earliest .NET rock shows, and it must have yep. been in the first 20, we talked to Dino Esposito. And in oh, his yeah. book on ASP.NET, and this is right when ASP.NET came out, right? This is 1.0. He mm-hmm. gave a solution for storing view state on the server where he was actually writing it out to local files, you know, serializing it, writing out to a local file, or, you know, you could use a cache or Redis or anything like that. But what's cool about that is that you get all of the features of ViewState, but you don't have to send it back and forth to the client. Oh, yeah. And and in in days gone by when I was working at a, at a dot-com startup, building production applications that were internet-facing – that's what we did to minimize um, view state and and the payload they were shipping back and forth. We we created space on the server. We created our own cache on the server, and we stored view state there. Yeah, server side. Which now you're having, you know, when you look at that, you're having the server do all this work so you can restore what information about these yeah. controls in order to process data on the server. Mm-hmm. So if you are doing things in a very post-back type of uh, model with ASP.NET Web Forms, that type of interaction certainly works for you. Go for it. I, I, it's a great choice. It's battle-tested, mm-hmm. and it works. I, I want to start pushing people towards model binding okay. because model binding gets you out of chasing events. Because when you're doing postback and you're doing management of view state, you have to chase the events and you have to manage the events inside of your page, inside of your controls, so that when that create child controls event is handled, you need to make sure that view state is ready to be loaded if there is a postback. Mm-hmm. So now you're if, if you are managing view state somewhere else, you need to handle the events properly so that it comes back, your controls are loaded, and everything operates properly. Versus in a model binding scenario, you're wiring up your data controls to one of four events, right? Either uh, on sel- it's the uh, select method, the insert method, the update method, or the delete method. Hmm. You just handle these methods server side, and you can handle the methods also asynchronously if you'd like. We've had that feature since 4.5. But you can handle these methods asynchronous, uh, server side process your data that you're ha- that's being passed back to the server you're completely outside of the event management workflow and it'll hand back to those data controls exactly what you need if you're doing a select or if you're doing an update you can process and return appropriately error messages inside of the page and they're processed inside your validation summary controls appropriately um, now, when also, I think of model binding, I think of that as an MVC trick. You're saying it works fine in web forms? 
Absolutely, it does. So I can have an update method sitting mm. on my web form that receives a a customer model object that I've already defined, right? I'm I, If I'm sending a customer out to the page to be rendered inside of an edit view with text boxes and the like, that's great. And then when you press that save button, I can post that same customer object back to my update method and it'll come in and I can have that, um, have that model validated by putting appropriate just like I have an MVC, putting appropriate attributes on my different properties of that model, and it'll tell me whether or not that model is valid and automatically push that information into my validation summary. Nice. So you've got the same features that are there in MVC, and a lot of people don't realize that it's there. Right. It's So we've we've simplified some of that back and forth where people were putting in their page on load uh, event handler, you know, if is not post back, do this. If is post back, all right, go get these values and then let's go write them to the database. Yeah, dude, I'm getting mess. chills. You got to stop saying <laughs> if post back. Yeah. God, man, it's bringing back so many memories. years of my life. Yeah, right. So that created all kinds of nightmares around. Well, how do I test this? Right, right. and and that was one of those banes of of people's. Uh, you know, experience that they had when they were working with web forms that, that caused them to say, yes, I want to go do MVC because I can, I can test these methods easier. I can write unit tests against them. If you're using model binding, well, now you have methods inside of a class file that you, you could test. Now you might have to do some tricks to get things up and running in order to instantiate the ASPX. And that's a pain in the neck, but we can also, there's a trick we can pull, and I can send you a link to the documentation here so we can include it in the show notes, uh, Richard. We can mm-hmm. also redirect those methods so that they're not in the code behind of my ASPX page, but I can redirect them to another class altogether. So if nice. I'm using a repository pattern with my MVC application, I can also use that same pattern inside of web forms and just push that um that lookup for where those methods that on select on update method exists, have it look at the other class and web forms will work with that appropriately and hand control back to the ASPX page when it's done processing. Awesome. Real nice and easy to use. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yep. It's time for a web forms pop quiz. Oh, question. Woohoo. What's the best way to make sure your web form app scales? And the answer, slash lowercase w, capital E, P, D, lowercase w, capital U, L, L, T, E, 2, M, T, T, Y, 2, O. Isn't this funny? Should I keep going? O, D, lowercase C, Y, <laughs> capital M, J, K, P, F, G. No? All right. Are you reading UU encoded? No, that base, that's base 64 encoded. Base 64, even better. Okay. <laughs> I have no idea uh. what the hell I just said either. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> 10 points to the person who posts in the show comments of this. Uh, what exactly that is. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's probably, I don't know. I just copied and pasted it from somewhere. Actually, it's time to give away a D experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Douglas Schott. Congratulations, Doug. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. I love giving away stuff. Yeah. Douglas just won Developer Express's D-Experience subscription, a great big pile of awesome from them. And if you don't know what we just did here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we'd like to give away stuff from our sponsors, and every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club, but you have to sign up to win. 
Okay, Jeff, it's your turn. If you got five grand right now to go shopping for technology, what would we buy? Um, can I, uh, uh, I'd like, really like to get 10 because Samsung just announced <laughs> a 15 terabyte SSD. Can we do that? <laughs> what? I know. Drive. What? 15, 15 terabytes on S- one drive. 10 grand? Right. No, that's, no, can't do that. That's too much. But a 15 terabyte SSD, that's, that's a lot. Wow. Um, so oh, I, I guess we can't shipping. really do I that. I just looked it up. That thing is shipping. You can buy it. That's crazy. I, know. I, I can't imagine how hot it must make uh, your machine. Yeah. So I'm I- oh, well. It's also one of the beefiest. I look at the picture of it. It's one of the beefiest SSDs I've ever seen. It's it's in the yeah. two and a half inch package, not in the one point eight. But it is thick. It is. It looks like a drive. Yeah. They haven't done anything miraculous here. It's literally sixteen SSDs essentially strapped together into one one chassis. Yeah. So that's uh, that's not going to work for for me. So. Um, when I, th- when I think of tech toys, I like to go shopping on Kickstarter. Kickstarter is like, you know, my wish list place. Yep. So there's a new, there's a cool one out there called Fireside Audio Box. And it's a Bluetooth speaker that has flames that come out the top. And it, I guess they come out in, in EQ shapes. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> they're, they're real flames. I would say it's a, a, yeah. um, Spectrum analysis. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you got to listen to some Jimi Hendrix while you have that thing So, playing. if you have low frequencies like heavy bass, the, the, the left side is going to light up more. And if you have really high-end treble, the right side is going to line up more. So, it's really like a little spectrum analyzer. Yeah. So, that's kind of, so that's cool. But that's only a couple hundred bucks. With flames. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a real do-it-yourselfer. So, I would have to also... Grab. There's something out here now called uh, Alchema. Now this turns fruit into personalized craft cider, and you guys know I love cider. Woo! Mm-hmm. So there's an there's it, it looks almost like a blender, but you seal it up, and then you use an app on your phone to time and uh, follow up on the recipe, so that when your cider is done in a week or two, you can uh, enjoy it properly. Well, definitely send us the links to those, and we'll post them. Yeah, all right. Pretty cool. So, have you ever made alcohol? I've I tried to gosh, I tried to make beer shortly after I got out of college, and I didn't realize just how much you need clear, clean water. And yeah. I just used water straight from the tap, and I didn't realize uh, quite how many minerals were in there. Yeah, yeah. And right. man, did that come out bad. Hmm. It matters. Yeah. Oh, it sure does. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, after that and looking at all the other uh things that i would have to get into to to start brewing a better batch of beer i was like all right you know what i don't have too much time for this <laughs> yeah yeah i gave up on that quickly i mean that's the, yeah the reality of making alcohol and a lot of these things is that you know it's just if you have to be very precise very clean and it needs constant tending you know, yes it's when it's, it's uh for for frequent travelers like us, it's hard to to do the care of feeding that. Heck, I'm afraid to make a corned beef right now because <laughs> of the amount of travel I'm doing. That don't want to just sit there until it goes yucky. Exactly, it's I can't pick up on that and, and manage it too well here. But this thing looks like it's all automatic. Set it and forget it. All right, let's give that a shot. Jeff, so part of your job is managing the community feedback. And how is that going? How's the how's the community taking to uh, the new changes in WinForms and WebForms? So, so WebForms it is it's interesting um, because we're not we don't have that open source taking feedback, taking code directly from the community experience. Right, we have reference source out there that people can look at, and they can actually see the complete source code for WebForms. And some folks have looked at that and they've been able to build some interesting things. But really, the open source community that, that I've been dealing with is more on, on GitHub with the new things in .NET Core and ASP.NET Core. And there's, there's been some interesting reactions. There's been some interesting 
um, things that we've been doing that people are, are picking up on very, very quickly and responding to and getting involved with us. Um, if you guys saw the .NET Conf uh, virtual event that we hosted back in May, um, as one of the keynotes, we showed we showed a map with the location of everybody who's contributing and and involved with all of our applications, uh, all of our source code on GitHub. And that's that's actually something that I built um, doing some analysis of GitHub and looking at particularly that location field that you fill in when you configure your user profile. So what what I've done is I've actually set up a nightly web job on Azure that scrapes people's information when they get involved within with our projects, takes a look at the types of things that they're doing. This is all public information and start to run some analysis on it. So we know where our folks are, how involved they are, and we can use that to feed into some some other metrics around our, our code as far as how much the community is contributing, how much our people are contributing. And then we've also done some other interesting things around the locations of those people, right? Not only did we plot, you know, here's where everybody is, mm. but where are those people and that are working on each project so that we can help to think about and plan some of our marketing events in the future. If we see that there's a lot of people that are working real hard in one area of the, of the world, mm-hmm. maybe we put an extra marketing event over there. Yeah. And if there's places where they're not contributing so much, maybe we need to look at that and figure out how can we get some more outreach into that area of the world as well. So there's some interesting things that we can decide and plan on based on that. And we've actually started looking at some of the comments that people are posting. And the question that we started thinking about is, are people happy with the source code that they're posting and the interactions that they're submitting to our source code? Right. And I mean, right. This is, this is something that, that kind of sprung up on us when uh, a few months ago, while we were in one of the release candidates for ASP.NET, one of the developers started posting code back into the repository because he had to share it. He was making a change and we hadn't announced that specific change yet. And people started commenting on it. Whoa, whoa, what is this? Where'd this come from? Yeah. And then they're posting on Twitter and they're, I don't, I don't like this change and we need to talk about this. So how do we, how do we know when these, these, um, discussions come up that we need to pay more attention to. And we had this really neat idea that we've implemented where we know, we know how to do sentiment analysis on Azure, right? There's a whole text analysis capability with the machine learning facilities that, that are on Azure. Why don't we take the comments that people make on pull requests and on issues and let's, let's run it through the text analysis and get some sort of a, just a number so we can tell, you know, are people happy with what's going on? Are they unhappy? Wow. And it's it's interesting to see the ebb and flow of how people are interacting, commenting, and how much they like working with us on GitHub. Yeah. So it's a positive influence overall. It's a brand new experiment for us at Microsoft because we're not right. We're we're opening we're opening the kimono, right? That's the phrase they use, <laughs> and really letting people see what we're doing as it's happening. So we want to be able to get some sort of metric that says, are people engaged? Do they like what we're doing? And um, the text analysis, the sentiment analysis comes back as a number between zero and one, a decimal, typically two digits, uh, two digits of precision. And it's I, I look at it as it's going to be as inaccurate, positive as it is inaccurate, negative. And it's it's a number for us to measure. Um, and let's, you know, work with it from there. And typically at this point, we've seen our sentiment analysis on our different projects online. And that, that's everything from Visual Studio Code source code, .NET Core source code, ASP.NET Core, MVC, um, Web API source code, mm-hmm. and uh, even the NuGet source code. We've seen a sentiment number come around 0.7. So, Mostly positive that interactions that people have working with our source code. And that's, that's great for us to see because it, it lets us know that people are engaged. People are enjoying what they're seeing and they're, they're not 
coming back tremendously negative, right? We're not doing things that are being flagged as wrong or unhappy and angering people. Yeah. So, and you said 0.7 is the is the number you're currently getting. One being everybody loves you. Exactly. And zero being, you know, your houses are being firebombed. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, I mean, a big thing about a 0.7 is that means more than twice as many people are excited with what you're doing versus upset by it. Yes. Yep. That's great. So, um, it, the Visual Studio Code uh, source code has the has the best response right now. Um, Xamarin is is coming in at a close number two. ASP.NET and NuGet are tied for three. And um, amazingly, Mono is is bringing up the rear. But not hmm. too far behind at a zero point six six. Wow! Yeah, if that's, Which is still if that's the bottom of your pool. You're doing fine. Yeah, that's, that's great. pretty good. Exactly. So um, we've had more than twenty one thousand people submit comments or responses, and these are the numbers that we're calculating coming out with from our sentiment analysis. So that's pretty good. You know, we got to feel pretty good about ourselves and in, in how that information is coming back. Oh, that's that's exciting stuff, and it, and kind of interesting to allow you to manage. I mean, it's so easy to deal with open source projects when it's you know you and five buddies, right? Where you, where it could be dinner yeah. somewhere to talk about the project. I've been baffled by what you guys would have to do with the tens of thousands of people that are engaged in your project. Oh, it, yes. When we take a look at the number of people that are involved, um, we have more than 22,000 people that have contributed in some way or another. And, and wow. I measure a contribution as, you know what, you're watching a repository. You're getting those yep. daily emails that here's what's changed or you're submitting comments or you're opening issues or, or you've, you've gone the distance and you're submitting pull requests. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, sharing your code with us to help improve the product for everybody. Yeah. You know, those are the ways that I see people engage with us. And and we've put together a series of Power BI dashboards around this. And we're working right now around some of the ways, some of the things that we need to do to to clean these up and make them make them publicly shareable. We we've we've made some statements and commitments that we want to share this data. And we're we're hoping to share them here in the next in the next few months. Um, we just need to nail down and, and uh, get proper sign off on that before we can publish these for the world to be able to see and interact with. Yeah, that's all good stuff. And, and it speaks to you guys being able to keep up. Like as new things come along, you can gauge that sentiment as a whole. So like all the comments count then. Exactly. Everybody's comment counts, not and it and it's not just full time employees, not just Microsoft full time employees that were that that are being looked at for how they're comments and interacting with folks. It's the whole world. Anybody who comments and has something to say about the product. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, I, I just hope we didn't inadvertently trigger a bunch of people to go out there and and write bad things on the board. <laughs> well, hopefully, they'll be helpful, even if they're mean. Say good things about me. Hey, Jeff, last week we interviewed Tomas Herseg, who has written and co-written, I guess, .vvm, which is a very cool web forms-like MVVM framework, for lack of a better word, that lets you build line of business apps without writing JavaScript and write C Sharp. But it's a sort of knockout on the client side, but you don't ever deal with knockout. It's all been abstracted away from you. And it's oh, a, yeah. it's getting some getting some legs, and I just wondered if you have looked into sort of um, I don't know about partnering with, but at least having conversations with as Microsoft having conversations with some of these community projects that are sort of filling the gap and filling the void between those you know the the ultimate designer based web uh, web forms and you know modern web apps. You know what? I I would welcome that kind of interaction. Now, does his framework run on top of ASP.NET Core or does it run on top of ASP.NET 4.6? It runs on anywhere. It runs on ASP.NET Core as well as 4.6. Okay. I would want to take a look into that a little bit further because one as we as we look at what are the next steps to evolve web forms, this concept of people want to be able to build those those higher Perceived performance, single page application structures, the, the heavy JavaScript client side interactions. We, we look at that and 
our controls, our capabilities that we provide out of the box with ASP.NET are really, um, they're slow, they're clumsy, they're, they're from a, a day gone by. Yeah. And, and we do want to be able to empower people to build with modern JavaScript easier. Yeah. How about no JavaScript? How about no JavaScript? <laughs> that would be the best. Just C sharp. Well, writing it on server side you're referring to. Yeah. And basically creating view models in C sharp and then letting the, the framework take care of the rest. A- a- amen, brother. I think that's exactly the type of thing that we, should be able to do. And I and when I look at people who already have existing applications out there that do server-side data binding, how, how can we turn that around so that you can use those same controls and get client-side data binding, mm. but data binding to those methods that you wrote server-side and let's expose them as a as a page method, right? right. We have we already have that ASP.NET script manager that's sitting at the top of pages when you say file new sure. ASP.NET project. But it exposes anything that you mark with the web method attribute as a, a not just web method attribute, but it's a static method inside your code behind. Exposes those as a JavaScript method mm-hmm. client side. Mm-hmm. Let's take a grid, for example. If I've got a grid on the page and it's doing full, you know, post back to the server, can I turn that around real easy and use page methods yeah. to populate that grid. And I've, I've done demos of this before, uh, how you write the code to make that change by hand. Uh, I've done demos of that. It talks at dev intersection and .net conf. There's videos online and I've got a couple blog posts showing how to do this. But what if we could make that just turnkey? I want to be able to just change that data source attribute on my grid or on my form details control and get it to connect to not a server-side data source, but to a client-side JavaScript method. Yeah. I would love to be able to do that because then now we're starting to break down one of those walls that that pushes people away from web forms of, I've, I, I can't write good modern JavaScript with these controls because right. Angular demands a certain set of markup. Knockout wants things formatted a specific way. Right. So I'd like to see us empower and enable that type of JavaScript interaction with your web forms so that you can start using these new technologies. And to your point, Carl, you're not writing any JavaScript. You're still writing your markup. You're still writing your C-sharp code. And we go back to that model that we had back in 2002 Mm. where you don't care what markup is generated and delivered to the client because you've had that all abstracted away from you yeah. and we're doing a better job of generating modern markup and script right. for the client to use. Yeah, it's, it's more like using JavaScript as the assembly language of the web rather than... Somebody I know said that. I can't remember. <laughs> it was. I believe it was either you or Hanselman. Uh, it was one of the... Yes, I think it was one of the Scots that I work for. Yeah. Well, one of the other Scots. Yeah. I, I was surprised they didn't ask me to change my name to Scott at some point <laughs> yes. during the hiring process. It's a rule. That's uh, how this works. No. You could be. But then actually, I, I look at the hierarchy Fritz. here. No, no, I don't want the middle name Scott. I, uh, one of the other guys, his middle name is actually Scott. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I look at the hierarchy here, and there's actually a bunch of people with a name that starts with J. So I think the J's might be coming here. I don't know. Oh, okay. there you go. Right. Nice, very good. So what's on the road ahead? Where, where can we see this going? I mean, you just laid out a vision for what you want it to look like in the future. But. Yeah. And, and you know what? That's actually something we're talking about right now. We're talking about that internally. How can we better enable modern JavaScript with web forms? Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm really going back and looking at some of those reasons that people left web forms for MVC. And let's, let's talk about, let's figure out if, if this is something that we can, we can correct easily yeah. like dependency injection yeah yeah right it, can we make dependency injection work with web forms now you're just I, talking I crazy talk mr fritz <laughs> hey hey you know what it's th- there's also another i mean dependency injection is something that comes out of the box with asp.net core and some people look at that and they get they get scared because they they see that they're they're having to put things together that they've never used before. But on the other hand, there's folks that look at that and they say, oh my gosh, 
I had to write my own thing to do this with MVC because I wanted my own controllers created and have dependencies injected so they would wire up something with Castle or uh, Spring.net or, right. you know, whatever their framework du jour is. Can we do that with web forms? Is this something possible? I don't know. It, it's a discussion that we can have. I think as we look at those various blockers, if we can knock them down, and enable web forms to do those things, it also starts to build a bridge yeah. that you can start to use the same code that you are possibly writing for ASP.NET Core with ASP.NET web forms or the other way around. You nice. can enable your web forms to use these techniques and technologies so that when you do decide to make a change to go to ASP.NET Core, you can migrate some of your things much more easily. And yeah. I think that bridge is is key and a good idea for us as we look forward because as you pointed out carl it's a big fork yeah let's enable you to move back and forth across that fork as easily as possible absolutely jeff it's been great talking to you as it always is thank you very much sir it's a great being here guys um i guess I'll, I'll be seeing you guys at dev intersection here in october yes you will yes yeah so I've, i'll be teaching the asp.net core workshop at that event and a couple of other ASP.NET core sessions at that as well. Fantastic. I love that the the team that built ASP.NET core is teaching the workshop. Like, I, how can you resist that? That just seems like the perfect thing to go to. Yeah. I, you know what, I, and I've heard great feedback from people who come and sit in those those sessions and workshops and they say, you know what, it's, it's amazing to hear you guys talk the talk and walk the walk. Absolutely. You know and can write this code as, as easily as you can talk about it. Yep. Yeah. Dev Intersection is shaping up to be an amazing conference this year. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Here's to hoping, my friends. It's been a ton of work to make it come true. Yeah. All right, Jeff, we'll talk to you then. And we'll see you, dear listener, next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band.